Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. So I joined the CIA and now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit cia.gov careers to learn more and apply. Hello and welcome back into another episode of The Hard Foul. It's been a few weeks. Really happy to be back. Pearson Fowler here. Colin Taylor from home, still social distancing. You know, Colin, I miss you, but I appreciate, I'm, I think everyone's happy that we're both being responsible in this uncertain time of social distancing. But with that being said, texted with you a little bit, had you on the local show on 107.5. We haven't done a pod in a while and I haven't seen you in forever. So give me an update. It's been a couple weeks. How are things around your neck of the woods? I miss you. That's what it, that's what it feels like. I'm trying to think. The last time we saw each other in person was probably right before the world started to burn. Um, yeah, it was right before you left for Nashville. Like that, yeah. what, Tuesday maybe? The Tuesday before you left for Nashville? Either Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday. And then I went to a concert Tuesday night and then left Wednesday. And the world stopped that Wednesday right as I got to Nashville. So um, a lot of TV a lot of uh, I'm moving at the end of June, so uh, starting to pack up. But staying in Columbia now. or the Columbia area, staying, right? Don't scare yeah, anybody. Staying in Columbia. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is the the pre pre wedding move to get things ready to go once we uh, knock on wood tie the knot in October. That's so, right. Uh, yeah, now, that was always in, planned for October. So this this didn't this didn't put this off. I know some people. Uh, my well, I guess my girlfriend's brother older brother was supposed to get married in May and obviously they got postponed and they're doing it until August, but y'all's was always planned for October, right? Yeah. Always October. Um, much to an interesting, we held our breath a little bit booking it in October, but we made it happen. And, um, yeah. So hopefully everything stays the way it is now. We're optimistic. It's going to be like that. It's on the bye week So absolutely no changes to the football schedule would be, um, ideal. (laughs) Appreciate. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's dangerous to schedule a wedding in the middle of football season around here, but honestly, I guess it probably would have been more dangerous to schedule it during a time that we're all quarantined than it would be during football season. And it sounds like y'all got it worked around the bye week anyway, so um, all of that is perfect. And despite the fact that we have still been in shutdown, um, and obviously you said you've been watching a lot of TV, doing a lot of that stuff, getting ready to move, lots of lots of things going on in our personal lives. There's been a tremendous amount of basketball news, especially in the last week or so. So I figured it was a good time for us to reconvene to talk about some of those things. And we mostly do South Carolina basketball, sometimes branch out to greater college basketball, and every once in a while have dabbled in the NBA. We will touch on the NBA's proposal to come back around the end of July. I think July 31st is the date they have penciled in right now. We're recording this Thursday morning, so some of this will be a a little bit dated, but we'll try to keep it as fresh as possible because the NBA Board of Governors is expected to meet Uh, this morning or early this afternoon to decide when they're going to come back. And since it's basketball and there's not a a ton of other, I mean, there's not real basketball happening to talk about, like we should be talking about Olympic basketball right now. Uh, Unfortunately, that's uh, not the case, but we'll dig into the NBA part of it in just a minute. But we will start with some South Carolina basketball news. And I guess we'll just go maybe in order of importance is a fair way to characterize this because we found out a little bit earlier in the week that South Carolina head basketball coach, you may have heard of him. His name's Frank Martin. Earlier, this year, earlier in May, I guess this is the beginning of June now, so earlier last month, uh, Frank Martin did, in fact, contract COVID-19. The pandemic that has, I guess it's unnecessary and redundant to say the pandemic that's, you know, taken uh, the globe by storm because that's kind of the definition of a pandemic, but the pandemic that we've all been hearing about that I think by now we've all had some sort of personal encounter with, but this is the first major case that we have seen within the Gamecock athletic community of someone being affected by COVID-19. Now, Frank Martin was not hospitalized. He has made a full recovery. And, in fact, I think now he's in the hospital for a different reason, having ankle surgery or knee surgery or something something on his leg. Um, 
but he's recovered from COVID-19. But Colin, when was the first time you heard about this? Did, did he actually manage to keep it completely under wraps until he announced it in his press conference or did this leak out, but it was just kind of a hush-hush situation until he announced it in his press conference on Monday? Honestly, I didn't know about it until he announced it and he, he put out a statement and kind of shared his story about it. So that was the first I had heard of it. No, granted, I'm not, no one's texting me about, you know, medical updates to coaches and I really don't care about medical updates to coaches if I'm if they're not forthcoming about it so I'm not digging for it but this is the first I had heard of it um props to Frank for keeping it as below as under wraps as he did um and I'm glad he's feeling better he was largely asymptomatic um he got tested because he was going in for knee replacement surgery they delayed that obviously uh, he's having it today which is Thursday uh, and he, he seemed in good spirits. We talked to him over Zoom on Tuesday, um, seemed in good spirits yesterday too. So um, happy for Frank. I uh, hope everything works out with his surgery as well, and I'm um, glad to see that it really didn't impact his um, sarcasm button because he hit that pretty hard <laughs> a couple different times, of course, for Zoom meeting. Yeah, was well, he talking about you know whatever drug they're going to put him on for, I guess, for the knee surgery because obviously, again, he wasn't hospitalized for COVID-19, but he seemed in a – in great spirits, and obviously it seems like everyone in his family is okay. I don't, I don't know if they got tested or if no one in his family has manifested the symptoms or what exactly the situation is, but it seems like everything within the Martin household is good. I don't know what contact, if at all, he's had with his players. Obviously they're not back on campus, so it would have just been like virtual anyway, but nobody else within the uh, athletic department or within the South Carolina basketball program has been affected. But it, I don't know what conversations you've had with Frank Martin or anybody within the staff or the athletic department, but it, is there in some way a sense of relief that they now kind of have a case under their belt? And for Frank Martin, you know, I, I don't know exactly how old he is, probably in his 50s, 55 maybe would be my guess. Uh, I apologize to uh, to Frank or Anya or anybody listening if you're offended because that guess is wrong. But he is in a higher risk category than most of his players. And obviously a lot of the concern when we talk about bringing players back to campus football players, volleyball players, equestrians, basketball players, whatever, is what happened if a player tests positive. But this is a case of somebody being in a slightly higher risk category just by virtue of being a little bit older, having it, being mostly asymptomatic, not having to be hospitalized, and recovering. Is there a sense that that people are kind of happy to have one under the belt now? Yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, we're they're very, very happy for Frank Martin, who is 54. I just Googled it. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry. Dude, yeah. I gave him an extra year, and right. I know he doesn't appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're happy that he's safe. Um, they have a lot of protocols for this. Um, this is why they social distanced and didn't allow coaches and and whatnot into the build into their buildings until football, I think got into mid May. So, um, yeah, this is good news for South Carolina. And I think they're relieved that nothing overtly bad happened with him and that he didn't have to be hospitalized. Um, it looks like he didn't pass it to anybody. Um, so that's, uh, Every last bit of good news they can get right now is is important, and certainly Frank Martin not giving it to anybody and, and not requiring any hospitalizations and ventilators because of it is, is a positive step in the right direction. Right, yeah, and, and again, I think probably people are feeling a little bit better that you have one in the clear before you start to bring everybody back in a full capacity because you get sort of a small sample size of what does this look like, what's the experience like. Um, and for Frank Martin now, he, he's, kind of, he's kind of been through it. I'm sure he was scared when he first found out that he had it and then going through the entire process and, and you know, managing all those emotions and everything that went along with it is, is probably going to be important if it does come to pass that he brings his players back to campus and one of them gets it. Because, again, they, his players are going to be in just about the lowest risk category uh, possible. So there will be, I, I think, some additional assurance there. Um, and with that, I didn't actually have this written in the rundown, but uh, I figure we might as well bring it up uh, because everyone's kind of asking the question. And we've talked a lot about uh, football specifically since that season starts before basketball and football players are reporting back this week. They're going to start voluntary workouts on June 8th. But what is the timeline right now for the South Carolina? Um, I don't know if you know men's and women's protocol, if they're one and the same, if they're a little bit varied. But what's the basketball protocol right now as far as bringing players back? Uh, Frank said it was June 29th. Um, We heard before Frank really announced anything that it would have been late June, early July uh, before they brought everybody back. And um, that kind of coincides with one of the later summer sessions. I know they're not going to have classes. Um, until I think August, uh, in-person classes, but their plans to bring all of them on uh, into June, and that does include your two signees in Patrick Ariel and Javon Benson. 
And is there any sense that like there's anybody that's expected to, uh, you know, because well, I mean, ultimately, I, I don't know what the line is, and this has been, I think, one of the tough parts of the conversation when we talk about college athletics as opposed to the pros, because if the pros, if there's a professional athlete that says, hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable coming back in this setting, it's like, all right, you know, that's that's your prerogative and this is your job and we can't necessarily, I mean, I don't know, maybe some places, you know, have, have it in place where, where they're still going to, you know, have some kind of a contract and still play player, uh, pay players that don't want to come back. But if, you know, if Tom Brady were to say, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an elder statesman, I'm a, you know, almost an octogenarian, uh, I'm, a, I'm a senior citizen, I don't feel comfortable coming back and playing for Tampa. Like, they would probably have some kind of compensation there. But you can't make them come back and do that. Now, it's a little bit different with college athletes because they're not being paid. They're not represented by a union. These guys are on scholarship. And, you know, first and foremost, these are students of the university. But have you, have you gotten the sense that there are any players that are going to have any qualms about coming back, you know, at all or that early? Not really. Um, Rob Wilson said that all his guys are coming back when we talked to him this week. Uh, Frank Martin didn't mention any guys that weren't going to be back. Um, even saying AJ Lawson was going to plan to be back in late June. So um, right now it looks like everybody's coming back and they'll get their tests. And there's a lot of protocols in place, whether that's at the ops building or at the ba- basketball facility when um, the, the basketball teams come back. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think that Everyone right now is planning on coming back, and, and I don't foresee that changing right now. And that includes A.J. Lawson. Uh, this was a little bit later in our rundown, but we'll just bump it up now since we're talking about it. Frank Martin, as you mentioned, said that he fully expects A.J. Lawson to be back on campus later this summer. Now, the NBA season hasn't started yet. They're going to start on July 31st, or they're looking to start on July 31st. The season's going to go. It won't go any later than, I think, October 12th is the latest day that the last game of the finals could be played. So that's going to put the end of the season somewhere between the end of September and early October, which obviously pushes the season, uh, the draft, free agency, the draft combine, all those things way, 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 way back, running it right up against the college basketball season, which we've never seen before. There's always a latency period, and you always have a long time to essentially have things figured out. You know, even if the even if the NBA season goes as late as it possibly can, if all the series go seven games, if the finals go seven games. You still have a lot of time to figure it out. If you're a player to say, hey, you know, I'm going to go to the combine, I'm going to go to the draft, I'm going to mull this over, and then I'm going to have the opportunity to decide, do I, do I come back to college? Do I want to stick in the draft? And there's a lot of time in between for teams then to subsequently figure out what to do. If somebody does somewhat unexpectedly decide to leave early or decides to leave early, go to the draft, go to Europe, you know, go to the G League, go do whatever, you have time to sort of mull over the transfer portal. There's not really that opportunity now because college basketball is going to be starting, like, I imagine at around the same time. I don't know if, if you've heard uh, any updated dates for when the draft combine is going to be or when the draft is going to be or the draft lottery or any of those things, but it's going to be so close that there's not really going to be any time. So we've kind of gone back and forth. It seemed like AJ was going to go, and then the shutdown and not having the ability to meet with teams in person you know, over the course of the pre-draft process made it seem more likely that he was coming back. Then it seemed like he was at least going to you know, continue to test the waters it seems like things are up in the air. When Frank says that he expects AJ to come back, do you expect that to be he will be in Garnet and Black with South Carolina across the front this fall, or he's going to come back and, and kind of wait and see once we get a little bit closer to the NBA draft process? I mean, I think that it's the latter. I mean, I'm, I don't think that AJ coming back is 100% of confirmation that he's going to officially come back uh, for his junior year. But, I mean, it's a step in the right direction. I mean, he could very easily well say, no, I'm going to stay and work out and do all this. But he wants to come back. He wants to come and, and you know work out with his teammates, get in the weight room with Scott Greenwald, who does a great job. Um, it's a step in the right direction coming back for his junior year. Um, is that officially set in stone? No. Do I expect A.J. Lawson back for his junior year? Yes. Uh, but we're still kind of in a holding pattern right now. Um, I think Woj put out something, or I saw some tweets about, um, you're looking at maybe October for the NBA draft, um, which could affect, I mean, if that's the case, then it might be August or September before you need to pull your name out. Um, and that's right ride, obviously, when school starts. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I still expect AJ Lawson back, but until the NBA has a full plan in place, I mean, it's hard to say what he's going to do or when he's going to make his decision because everything's just kind of up in the air right now. 
Is Carolina internally worried about making the numbers work? Because if AJ goes or if he stays, that is going to affect what's already kind of a tight situation. You mentioned the two guys coming in and obviously adding Seventh Woods to a scholarship. He was, you know, transferring sat out last year, but technically a walk on was not occupying a scholarship. And I think that was all kind of done with the calculation in mind that AJ Lawson was going to be leaving because that was always the expectation. That was the expectation. At, you know, after his freshman year, going into his sophomore year, and even towards the end of the season, even when it didn't seem like it was necessarily the best idea, it still seemed like he was going to pursue that. So, you know, how would Carolina make the numbers work if AJ does kind of hang on to the last second and then decide to come back? Yeah, I mean, the the numbers are working right now. I mean, they have if AJ Lawson doesn't come back, they're at their numbers right now. Um, they have thirteen guys. Um, if AJ Lawson leaves and does not come back, they have a scholarship to fill, which then gets pretty interesting depending on when he does it. Um, but you have a, you're have you at your numbers right now. So if he comes back, there's no situation. The Jair Bolden transfer helped um, with that. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what he does. But right now the numbers are in South Carolina's favor, um, and hopefully, and I think they're expecting it to stay that way to where they're not having to make any um, – later ads in the recruiting process. How would you even do that? Now, the transfer portal is, is, I guess, always open, and Carolina probably already has their eyes on some guys, but they probably haven't gotten far enough down that road to have any specifics. But, I, I mean, how hard is that a, to, to add someone a month before the season? I mean, it'd be interesting. I mean, I would. I don't want to see what it looks like, but, I mean, they, they all, they're always recruiting. I'll give them that. They're always keeping an eye out for guys and with this pandemic, you're seeing a few guys from the 2021 class reclassify to 2020. Um, you're seeing, you know, an influx of transfers. Um, so there's guys in the portal that can be had. Um, but they're always recruiting. Um, they're always kind of keeping an eye out just in case there is a transfer in the middle of June or if A.J. Lawson decides to stay in the NBA draft. Uh, but right now the numbers are working out, and I think – and Frank Martin said he's not expecting anybody else to transfer – which leads me to believe that you're going to probably sit at this roster um, heading into next season, and South Carolina is very, very happy with it. Um, not South Carolina specifically, and I don't even know if, if this would work, but certainly there are some connections. But I was a little bit surprised to see Andrew Nimhard, you know, decide to come back to college, but then also announce that he was going to transfer from Florida. Do you know anything about that decision? Do you know where he's looking? And do you know if South Carolina has contacted him as a sort of potential contingency plan we know he and AJ Lawson are team Canada teammates so I guess the only way there would be a roster slot open barring something unforeseen would be AJ Lawson leaving so maybe the idea of like teaming them up teaming them up wouldn't necessarily be wouldn't be there as a temptation but as a guy that's a very successful guard in the SEC that has an NBA future um, again just walk me through what you know about that process and if there has been any contact there as far as I know there hasn't been any contact Um, I've seen a lot of big name schools uh, get involved with Andrew, and I'm thinking he might end up at one of those. Um, right now, South Carolina really doesn't have a spot available for him, like we talked about. But um, I don't think they've offered. I haven't heard about them talking with him. Um, but you never say never. I think that he does end up somewhere else other than South Carolina right now, just because he does have I mean, some of the biggest names in college basketball calling on him um and that's more than likely how his attention is going to be focused yeah so that was just a that was just i guess an attempt to to get a little bit more attention because it's not like florida's not on tv and it's not a name program and people aren't watching him playing at florida so i mean is it just does he feel like if he has a deep run to the ncaa tournament that he can get more exposure and that florida's maybe not equipped to do that but you know it makes sense when you see guys transfer from schools that are maybe in the bottom you know, half of the country in terms of exposure, in terms of size, but Florida's a big, big program and a big conference. It's weird. It's, I mean, he's coming back and to, to school, obviously, and he, walk, he would walk into a Florida room that's bringing in, I think, a McDonald's All-American or has a former McDonald's All-American and Trey Mann. And, um, the recruiting class is good, and you have guys on that team that are, legitimate pro prospects, especially Scotty Barnes, who are coming back. And the minutes are not going to be what he might have gotten this year. Um, it's kind of what I think his rationale was, was like, hey, listen, I, don't, I won't be able to have the same opportunities in 2020, 2021 that I had in 2019, 2020, because the talent around me is so good that I'm going to look, I'm not going to be 
the number one on the team, I'm going to be a part of three or four guys that are really, really good together. Um, and that's just not the same exposure as you could say if you're, you know, an Obi Toppin who is on a good team and the best, the, a great player on a good team rather than being a good player on a great team. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean that 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 does make sense. But for you know, for him, I, I feel like he had. I mean, I, I guess not because I guess whatever you know, kind of commendations or draft grades that he got in sort of the pre-draft process were like, yeah, you know, it probably makes sense for you to stick around in college. And, and maybe I'm just guilty of a, you know, a little bit of like selective viewing. Cause you know, I, I watched a decent amount of Florida last year and he was good. I think probably his best game of the season, or at least the best one that I watched was that South Carolina game where he absolutely lit the Gamecocks up. I think finished with 21 and 10 on very efficient shooting, but he, you know, he, he has size. He has, you know, great vision, really good feel for the game. You know, showed a little bit of that outside shot, at least against South Carolina. I don't know what the rest of his shooting numbers look like, but you know, he seems like he he's a guy that that kind of that has that upside anyway. So I'm I guess I'm I'm just kind of like rambling here and going back to the point that I was surprised, and it sounds like you were surprised. So you know, maybe maybe nothing more to say about that. It's it's just weird. Um, and you probably watched a little bit more Florida than I did. Was that South Carolina game that much of an outlier? I know he didn't normally score that much, but I mean that's that's about the level that he's capable of. He wasn't like really, really overperforming like a, a normal level for him in that Carolina game, was he? No, I mean, I think that that was the top end of his performance. I mean, he certainly had some clunkers. I mean, what knowledge kid hasn't. But, I mean, when we're talking about what Andrew Nimhard is at his peak, is one of the best point guards in the SEC, therefore one of the better point guards in the country. Um, I think another year would have benefited him, is going to benefit him, uh, just to continue to get stronger and develop his game. But, I mean, if if I'm Andrew, I'm probably staying at Florida. But then again, I don't know who he has in his ear. I don't know what his thought process is in terms of how he wants to get more exposure because his goal is obviously to play in the NBA. Um, so I, I'm not going to fault the kid for doing what he thinks is best for his career. Um, but it's going to be interesting because I do think that he was one of the best point guards in the SEC last season. And he'd be a, a junior coming back to do almost the exact same thing um, or a senior. I don't know what year he is, but he'd, he'd be one of the, the probably top 10 players in the SEC and mm-hmm. all SEC selection next season. And to give that up is kind of, uh, it's a little shocking to me. Yeah, I agree. I just, uh, yeah, was, was surprised by it. But as soon as I saw that go across the ticker and I was like, Andrew Nimhard to transfer from Florida, all, the, the first thing I thought was, you know what? He and AJ Lawson know each other. They like each other. Frank Martin's seen him play, you know, several times. Probably has a lot of respect for him. Probably knows him. I don't know what kind of relationship Frank, you know, has with Andrew, other than just hey, you know, we we, we play Florida, and you know, Andrew plays for Florida, so you know, there, there's that right there. But I was just, I was thinking about what that backcourt could look like, and you know, it wouldn't be able to work for South Carolina because again, the only, the only way that they would likely have another roster spot would be if AJ leaves, in which case you're losing sort of the primary connection there. And you are you're already talking about a very crowded backcourt. I mean, a backcourt that's crowded enough that Jair Bolden felt like he needed to go ahead and transfer. Obviously, bringing in Seventh Woods and you know having some of the you know the freshmen step up and AJ Lawson probably coming back. So it doesn't really make sense. But if South Carolina were able to do that, I mean, they could just put five guards out there and say we're going to score a hundred points a game. Yeah, which would be fun for me to cover. I love covering. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, teams that get up, you know, and and South Carolina's going to be a team that gets up and down the court. Um, but I mean, to have, if you bring in Andrew and, and if we're playing this game where Andrew Nimhart and Angel Lawson are on the same court together, you could potentially have three NBA players on the court at the same time with, you know, Jermaine Kusnard and all those guys too. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so let's just, let, let's do this because we're, we're in complete la la land now. And, you know, for the record, if anybody, I, I mean, I don't know how you do this in a podcast, but if you're just tuning in, uh, Andrew Nimhart's not going to come to South Carolina. I just had the thought, and now I'm playing it out. So I guess you have Jermaine Kusnard as your point guard, and then probably Trey Hannibal as your two, and then probably Nimhard the three, AJ Lawson the four, because he's a little bit bigger, and then maybe we'll throw Keyshawn, Keyshawn in there. I know not a, a guard, but, you know, a wing, and just let him play the five. Is I mean, if we're going to take this to the most ridiculous extreme possible, that that's it, right? I mean, it has to be, right? Hell, why not just put, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think. If we're going to go Kusnard. Hell, you could put AJ at the five, seventh at the three. Oh, yeah, I didn't even put four. seventh in there. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay, what I mean, happens? What happens if Carolina does it? They have no rim protection. They probably get murdered on the glass, but their pace is going to be astronomical. They're going to shoot a lot. What What happens if that's South Carolina starting five next year? 
Final Four. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you can't you can't prove me wrong. You can't can't convince me otherwise. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That'd be cool. Like but it. again, unfortunately, uh, that's not going to happen. But I will be very curious to see where he lands and curious to watch him because again, I mean, it, the, the one game that I saw him play in person, he absolutely uh, caught my attention. I think he'll probably be a very good player wherever he ends up next year. Probably end up end up uh, in the NBA at some point, and hopefully. Uh, AJ can can take that step as well. Uh, the other big piece of basketball news that we need to get to, uh, specifically for South Carolina, is of course if you haven't heard uh, by now that South Carolina longtime South Carolina assistant coach Perry Clark has announced his retirement. He is uh, 68 years old. He's been around the game of basketball for a very 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 long time. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now. Been coaching since the 70s. 1975 was the first assistant gig that he had, and uh, he's been everywhere. Penn State, Georgia Tech, uh, Tulane as a head coach for a long time, Miami, uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and then, of course, spending the last eight years at the University of South Carolina. Colin, I'll ask you, kind of like I asked the uh, Frank Martin COVID-19 question, was this something that you saw coming down the pipe? Was there an expectation this was going to happen, if not this offseason, then like maybe sometime in the near future? Um, Or did you find out about this and were kind of surprised like the rest of us? Surprise is probably not the right word. Um, I mean, these conversations have been, have been going on for about a month, um, is what Frank Martin said. And I mean, it's not shocking. Perry's obviously a little bit older, uh, getting close to 70. Um, by the time most people um, in regular professions retire, and it's just one of those things where he's, he's older. He wants to kind of get away from it. And um, I was not shocked by it. I'll put it that way. I think that, you know, this is something that had been coming now for a couple months. Um, and all the best to Perry in his retirement. Uh, he was very fun to cover. We had a lot of good talks in interviews, just kind of, you know, discussing things off the court. So um, really, really, really good basketball mind. Um, really smart. Um, was a really valuable part of the staff. And I'm excited to see where Frank goes because he has a few ways he could go. Um, with this hire, and, and it's going to be really, really hard to replace a guy like Perry. Right. And again, a guy that's been around the game of basketball, so has those relationships that's seen just about everything the game of basketball can throw at you. And uh, with basketball, it's a little bit different. You don't have the droves of assistant coaches that you have in football. Now, I mean, you're talking about rosters of 15 people instead of, you know, 85 plus walk on. So I guess it makes sense that you would have fewer people. But in football, it's easy to specialize. You have a linebacker coach, you have a you know, a defensive end coach, you have a safety coach, you have all these things. There's obviously, you know, the opportunity for specialization there because you have so many people that you're dealing with. And in basketball, I guess all assistant coaches have to be a little bit more well-rounded because you have fewer of them. So you need guys that can both recruit and sort of approach the game, you know, from the schematic way and, and draw up the game plans and break down film and do all of those things. It sounds like Perry Clark, not to diminish what he did as a recruiter, but it sounds like at least the way that Frank Martin talked about him and, and from what you said there, it sounds like the schematic part of what he brought to the game and what he brought specifically to South Carolina was maybe, you know, one A on his job line and, you know, one B would be, you know, recruiting and some of those other things. So uh, can you just give me a little bit of behind the scenes look of, of what that looks like? And maybe just as a way of illustrating, kind of break down how the roles of this, like what, the, what, what are the roles of everyone on Frank Martin's staff as of like last year? Like what, like on a Monday, what's Frank Martin doing? What's Perry Clark doing? What's Bruce Shingler doing? You know, what, what's, what's the breakdown of, of how the assistants, kind of approach their jobs yeah so with when you're a college basketball assistant you have a lot of different duties i mean you're doing some scouting reports um you're doing the way the way college basketball works on the scouting report is each coach is assigned different scouting reports so let's say you know south carolina plays auburn florida and texas a&m boom 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 for, you know, Perry Clark would have Auburn, Chuck Martin would have, you know, Texas A&M, and then Bruce Shingle would have Florida. So it's kind of like divvied up. So you're, every coach is not scouting every team, um, and then they come and they pitch it to Frank and do that. So that's one job of it. Um, and then the rest is obviously recruiting, planning practice, player development, um, handling things that go on inside the team. Um, your typical duties last year, Perry Clark was primarily the main – his main job was was scouting. He would do a lot of player evaluation stuff, and Chuck and Bruce would do a lot of the recruiting aspect of things. Um, they were the ones that you know built a lot of those relationships. Barry Clark did too. Um, he's heavily involved with John Butler, um, who obviously is an in-state kid. I think he's the number sixty-four player in the country. 
um, in the 2021 class who South Carolina is actively recruiting. And um, so Perry would handle a lot of the scouting stuff and Chuck and Bruce would do the scouting stuff too. Don't get me wrong. They didn't do that, but they also did a lot of the relationship building um, recruiting stuff that went along with it. So um, that's not to diminish what Perry did. Don't, for those that are listening, don't think that I'm doing that. But what I'm saying is that, you know, Perry really, really focused on the scouting stuff. Um, he was good at it. He was a very, very good um, liaison is probably the right word for Frank, um, just to kind of bounce ideas off of because he was a head coach before, um, a, a pretty successful one at that. Um, and then Chuck and Bruce would handle a lot, a lot more of the recruiting side of things too. So um, that's kind of the, the way they divvied it up. And then everyone would obviously be, um, involved in practice, whether that's being vocal, whether it's helping out, you know, with player development and stuff like that. So, um, I want to say Perry helped work a lot with the bigs. Um, Chuck and Perry would do a lot with that. Bruce and Frank kind of worked some more with the guards. Frank, obviously a little bit more hands-on with everybody, but, um, Chuck with all that stuff too, is they work kind of in tandem too. So Chuck worked with seventh a little bit on, on the side about getting his jump shot fixed. So it's kind of a smorgasbord. But um, that was a really rambling answer. Uh, I hope that answered even a little bit about what staffs do and kind of how those responsibilities are divvied up. No, yeah, I mean, that, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for because, again, it's a little more clear-cut. It's easier to figure it out in, in football and, you know, in baseball. You have a, a pitching coach and a hitting coach. It's like, what do they do? Oh, they coach the pitchers and they coach the hitters, you know? So it, because it's a little more fluid in, in basketball, I've always been curious about it, and it, I guess, just gave me an opportunity to – to get your take on that, so that's perfect. Um, now, the other thing that I wonder, since obviously they're you know they're all involved in practice, as you mentioned, it might take all three of them because Frank Martin is the best bad cop of all time. But does one of those three guys, uh, again, just talking about the staff last year, because Perry Clark is not going to be there next year, so I don't know if if, if Chuck or Bruce already was or if they're going to step into that role. But of those three guys, which one was the good cop, like the friend to all the players when Frank was being the hardest on him? I mean, Chuck and Bruce do a really good job of it. I'll say that. They have a really good relationship with those players, um, excluding Perry, who obviously won't be on staff next year, who did have a good relationship with those guys. Uh, but Chuck and Bruce have done a really good job building that relationship. Hell, Frank's done a really good job of building a relationship with those players off the court so that they don't tune him out on the court when it's when he's you know coaching them when, as hard as he does. And um I think all of them do a pretty good job, Chuck and Bruce especially, of, of helping out and, and really coaching these guys and, and being good cop to them um, when Frank is getting on them. Um, and I think that that helps. I think that Frank's done a good job, too, of building that culture with, within the program to where a lot of these players who stick around for two or three or four years learn quickly. It's not how he's saying it. It's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And that really helps go a long way and, and you see those guys develop. You see a guy like Jermaine Kustard, Mike Coates are develop because these coaches have built such a good relationship, whether that's PC, um, who's obviously mm-hmm. not going to be on staff next year, whether that's Chuck Martin, whether that's, you know, Bruce Shingler, um, or Frank Martin at the head of it all. Um, they do a good job of building those relationships with those guys. And, um, they're all kind of their own good cop and backup at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think every coach has to be, um, whether that's football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Um, but they do a really good job. Uh, that's obviously, you know, one side of the relationship. The other side of the kind of relationship business is the relationship with recruits. And you mentioned, you know, specifically guys that Perry Clark has developed a relationship with. It's obviously different when somebody retires as opposed to, you know, getting fired or leaving for a new job. Um, you know, in both cases, there there are times when it's like, well, hey, you, you just fired my position coach. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy about that. Or, hey, my position coach is going to a different school. Maybe I want to go there and, and, you know, pursue him. And, again, I'm talking in football terms because that's mostly how I, you know, think and talk about recruiting. But is there any sense, um, again, it's different when it's a retirement, but is there, is there any sense that, you know, Carolina's losing something in terms of existing relationships that Perry Clark had on the recruiting trail that might affect them down the road? Not that I can see. Um, not really. Uh, I, I haven't talked to John Butler's parents yet about it. i uh, planning on doing that soon. But... Um, no, when when you talk about Devin Carter, who obviously committed, uh, Chuck Martin did a lot of the legwork on him, uh, with Frank obviously coming in at the end. Uh, and then with Jacoby Wright, who's obviously announcing his commitment sometime over the next few weeks. Uh, Bruce Shingler's done a really good job of building a relationship with that family, too. So um, 
Perry really wasn't as involved in those two. Bruce and Chuck were the lead recruiters on them. Um, so especially in the 2021 class, there's really not a impact. And I mean, for 2022, you have enough time there to where if there was, which I don't think there was, um, the other assistant could come into and, and help um, build those relationships. And then Chuck and Bruce can obviously handle some of that too. What direction does Frank want to go now? You alluded to it earlier. There's a couple different ways he can go. He can you know, try to grab an expert recruiter, someone that just has all the relationships in the world, or he can try to replace some of what Perry Clark offered in terms of his expertise schematically. And again, in, in terms of being a, just an incredible veteran presence that's been coaching basketball for basically 50 years, do you have a sense which way he's leaning? I mean, I think you're going to go need to get a recruiter. Um, I think you're going to need a guy that can help take some of that load off of Chuck and Bruce um, to build some of those relationships and help out with that. Um, Frank talked as much about that. He wants a guy that can um, recruit with him and, and understands how South Carolina recruits because that's a big deal for Frank. So uh, I think that this is going to be a guy that knows how to recruit, can recruit really, really well, um, and then help – player develop, help guys get better on the court. And loyalty is so important to Frank. So I think this is going to be a guy he knows um, and has connections with, whether they've coached together or not, um, knows. Uh, and then I, I think we'll see from there because, I, but first and foremost, I think this is going to be a guy very similar to Chuck Martin, who came in with the reputation of a recruiter and also knows how to develop those guys. I mean, Chuck Martin, pulled in Victor Oladipo, uh, OG Ananubi at Indiana, and those guys turned into NBA players. So um, that's kind of how I think it's going to go. All right. Saw this earlier this week, and it raised my eyebrows for a different reason at first. Uh, obviously, Memphis basketball team has been in – and a lot of headlines in the last couple of years with, with Penny taking over and with them grabbing a bunch of recruits and then obviously everything that happened with James Wiseman being ruled ineligible this year. And then a little bit earlier this week, Memphis assistant, a guy that uh, he's actually from South Dakota, which I didn't know until I looked it up, I, I think literally just yesterday, but had a couple stints in Memphis playing for the Grizzlies and uh, was an assistant coach with Penny Hardaway at Memphis recently decided that he was going to leave Memphis. Did not say that he's retiring because he's just 40 years old, so he, I imagine that he will land somewhere else. Colin, tell me why South Carolina's next assistant basketball coach will not be Mike Miller. Frank doesn't have a relationship with mm. Mike Miller, um, as far as I know. Um, he did play with the Heat, which helps that, that Miami case. But Got Udonis. Um, Got Udonis on his yeah, side. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is going to be a guy that Frank has some, some pretty serious ties with. Um, would Mike Miller be a good hire? Sure. Um, but I also think Mike Miller is going to have other opportunities uh, in basketball at other places to make an impact too. And I think with Frank, um, this is assistant hire is so important for him that he's going to go with someone that he knows can is so familiar with him and the program that there's not really an adjustment period Um with it, and I think Mike Miller might be too much of an adjustment period, but mm. who knows? Uh, we could be playing this two two weeks from now when Mike Miller's your assistant coach, and I'm looking like an idiot. <laughs> but if you had to place money right now, and not even as to whether or not he will end up being the newest, the next assistant coach, but do you even think that phone call will be made? I don't know. I think well, I don't think that phone call will be made for a couple weeks. If <laughs> right. It's made. Um, I think Frank's already kind of in the stages of knowing who he wants to talk to for this, knowing um, kind of where he wants to go with it. And I don't know if Mike Miller's necessarily in that top two or three candidate list. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's about what I expected. I, I appreciate you, you know, Talking delicate, yeah, delicately deflating my balloon there. I, I really didn't even think about that. Like my only thought was like, huh, there's a lot going on with Memphis. I wonder if Mike Miller's just going to, you know, get out just while there's smoke before they find fire just to you know kind of save himself the uh, the PR nightmare that that could be. Um, and, and then it wasn't until Jay said something about it yesterday. I was like, oh, my gosh, what what if Mike Miller's the next? But uh, and, and then I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's much of a connection there. It was South Dakota. He, you know, he did play at Florida, but that was obviously after Frank Martin had left uh, the state of Florida. And, you know, really the only connection there was Udonis. But the other part of it, I, I was like, well, you know what? I mean, Frank Martin – whether it's high school, whether it's college, whether it's NBA, is an extremely well-respected guy. I mean, universally around the game of basketball, 
and I understand, like like you said, you know, Mike Miller's probably going to get a lot of other big offers. He's going to have his pick of the litter more than likely, especially being a recent player, longtime NBA. He's guys that most of the players that are going to be playing college basketball in the next couple of years will have grown up watching, knowing who he is, probably remember his amazing finals performance, you know, hitting a three and whatever that was, game six of the NBA finals with one shoe on, you know, those kinds of things. They, they will remember it and probably love to play for Mike Miller. But if Frank Martin called Mike Miller, I, I, he's respected enough in the game of basketball that Mike Miller would 100% take that call, right? Oh, yeah, you have to be. I mean, when Frank Martin's calling a guy that's from South Florida, from Miami, where you played, you have to at least field the phone call and listen to what he has to say. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Well, that's all. That's all I needed to know. Um, all right. Yeah. Before we uh, do fully transition to the NBA, that's a little bit of a teaser. There. There's one thing that I just remembered. You and I have not gotten a chance to talk about yet on the podcast. Oof. It's something you feel very strongly about. I did not prep you for this, so I'm putting you on the spot. But Colin Taylor. There's been an announcement. I don't know who exactly announced it. I don't know the competition committee, whatever. But basically, somebody in college basketball said, hey, we are changing the net. And you were the first person I thought of as someone that despises the net, as someone that has taught me to despise the net, and I didn't even fully understand how it works. So walk me through what they're changing in the net, and is this a good change, or is this just for optics and you're still going to end up hating it just as much? It is a phenomenal change. I like the net a little bit more now. I'm still wow. not sold on it, but I like it a little bit more. So I'm reading an article, refreshing myself, because I remember reading it when it happened, and I was like, this is really, really smart. So for those that don't know, um, read the article from NCAA.com, which is saying, uh, will be changed to increase the accuracy and simplify it by reducing um, to a, just a two-component metric. It will include a team value index, which is a result-based feature that rewards teams for beating quality opponents away from home, as well as an adjusted net efficiency rating. So we're not taking into account margin of victory. Or, I mean, the things that matter, beating good teams matter. And then your efficiency as to how you do it, which is smart. Um, there's no winning percentage, adjusted winning percentage, scoring margin, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about efficiency numbers which are very, very valuable in the game of basketball. And we're talking about if you beat a good team and then you're getting points for going on the road or going to a neutral site and beating said good team. I really, really like that. I'm excited to see how it's going to be implemented. Uh, but I think this is a step in the right direction. And college basketball finally got something right. All right, that's great. Okay, I thought that this seemed like a good change when I read it. But again, I, I didn't understand the net as well as you did to begin with. So I was like, this seems like the kind of change that would be needed and would be beneficial, but I will have to ask Colin to get his take because there, there is a chance that it's just, you know, this is more about, you know, how does this thing look on paper than, than how does is it actually practically applied? And I guess that remains to be seen. But, you know, how does that impact how teams are going to approach the game now? Because so much of scheduling in college basketball has to do with what can we do to appease the net? What can we do to give ourselves just let, let's just play the numbers game. And, yes, if you're Kentucky and you're going to win – just a boatload of basketball games every year anyway. It's not going to matter overly other than, like, are you the one-seed, are you the two-seed, are you the three-seed? But for the majority of college basketball, there is some sense of we need to game the system. We need to make sure that the numbers are going to tip us in favor of the NCAA tournament, you know, maybe win us a tiebreaker here and there. How do you foresee this affecting how college basketball teams build their schedules? It's going to be interesting. I mean, my only real problem with the system right now and this new net is you're sitting there looking at it's a team value index, um, which is what they weight things on. And they don't necessarily give you the algorithm for it, which is frustrating. But I think that's important due to the fact that if a team knows the algorithm, then they're going to try to schedule games that benefit the algorithms, you know, process. Um, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of different changes to team scheduling uh, right now, at least this year, just because, things are set and you really don't know how it's going to play out. Um, but, I, you know, Frank Mark, I mean, it's just one of those things where teams try to schedule the best teams they can because they know that the more good wins you have, the better, mm -hmm. regardless of net ranking, regardless of um, Ken Palm, whatever you want to call it. Good wins always outweigh everything else. I mean, South Carolina was an 18-win team last year and was getting strong consideration for the NCAA tournament in large part because, they beat Arkansas. They beat Virginia. They beat Clemson. Um, they beat, 
I'm trying to think of the other teams they beat. They beat Kentucky. Um, they had all these good wins, and because of that, they had they were in the NCAA tournament conversation. So I think you're not going to see a total shift in scheduling, um, especially this year. But if that algorithm does become public, then you're going to start seeing some teams try to game the system because of it. Okay, so in, in sort of a simplified fashion, is it fair to say that the new net will reward wins more than it penalizes losses? Yes. Okay. Right cool. now, yes. Um, but bad losses are still never good because <laughs> right. the net, I mean, the net is not the be all end all. And I think mm-hmm. that's where people kind of get, you know, so consumed with it that, oh, well, we're 59th in the net, and, you know, or 75th in the net. And, you know, we can't do this. And when in reality, the eye test also matters that are you playing good basketball in March? Uh, are you playing good basketball in February? And, do you have, I mean, bad losses still matter. I mean, South Carolina was in the tournament conversation as an 18 win team, but also if the season ended before and they had a turn, you know, the, the NIT or the NCAA tournament in at the beginning of March, you were going to be on the outside looking into the NCAA tournament because mm-hmm. of those, some of those bad losses. So right. that still matters. Don't get me wrong that I mean, you can't lose to Boston and Stetson. <laughs> um, in, in the eyes of the net and not take a little bit of a hit because of it. But maybe, I guess, a little more, or I guess it allows for a, a little more for the committee to do. Like, you you have this number, but it's not so all-encompassing. Because in, in some ways, it felt like the, the committee was unnecessary. If it's like the, the net is everything, and we're just going to look at these numbers, and I guess, yeah, there's some decisions to be made, some tiebreakers and things like that, but it sounds like this is going to allow for more conversation, which is you know probably ultimately going to be good. You know, maybe frustrating if there's a little more subjectivity involved. But you know, in some of those cases, like for South Carolina, it's like, yep, those are some terrible losses, but they've been uh, you know playing better lately, and they had some injuries there, and those things are, are I guess going to be allowed to shine through the argument more than just these this kind of quote unquote all encompassing number that actually just kind of confused the, the the question more than anything. Yeah, I think that, I mean, this this kind of puts a number to it. So where you're saying, you're looking at a resume, and it's like, okay, well, you know, South Carolina's got a net of this. That must mean they've beaten good teams or they haven't beaten good teams, and you look at their resume, and it kind of checks out. So it's just putting a number value on it right now um, to kind of help guide some decision-making. It's Again, not the be-all, end-all, but mm-hmm. – I think it's a step in the right direction. All right. Well, that's good. Now, I, I do have mixed feelings about this now that I've asked you and now that you've said that it's a good thing because on the one hand, it's great for college basketball and you know for South Carolina, hopefully, that this will end up being a better system. But I'm sad because this means in this upcoming season, we probably won't get you know as many or any net-based rants on the hard foul. Uh, are, are you ready to leave that behind? I'm sure I'll find something else to complain about. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty good at that. Right. Good Very at good. That. That's all I wanted to hear. I needed a little reassurance. Um, okay, last thing before we get out of here today. The first, I guess, major important sport in the United States of America, because some things will be back. You know, The Premier League's coming back, and Bundesliga's already back, and there's Korean baseball on TV, and uh, I guess NASCAR's back, maybe some ultimate fighting and things like that. But the first big sport in the United States that's coming back is not Major League Baseball. It's not going to be college football. It's not going to be the NFL. It is going to be the National Basketball Association, which is voting... I think probably as we speak, again, recording this Thursday morning, on a proposal that would bring 22 teams to Orlando to start a regular season or to resume a regular season July 31st to play eight games and then to have a normal full playoffs, 16 teams, best of seven playoffs in this sort of Orlando campus. Uh, Now, Colin, I know you know bigger college basketball fan than NBA fan, but the intrigue here is high. And, and what I wanted to approach with you specifically is the idea of a lost home court advantage. Everybody's playing in Orlando, so I guess the only home team is the Orlando Magic, which is kind of funny, but they're not going to be sleeping in their own beds. I think they're probably going to have to sleep in a hotel in Disney World, which is, you know, not the worst thing in the world. I, I, I don't think you can complain about that. But for the teams like the Bucks, like the Lakers, like the Clippers, like the Raptors, you worked so hard throughout the course of the regular season to get home court advantage throughout the playoffs, at least until you get to the finals, in which case it was going to be, you know, the Bucks and nobody else. But you lose that now. And so the NBA is, is trying to come up with a proposal 
to make some kind of artificial home court advantage. Now, I will ask you first, before we get into some of these contingencies, should the NBA be doing this? Is it important to maintain that slight upper hand for the higher seeds, or should they just let it play out on a neutral court? I'm cool with the neutral court. I think it's smart, um, just in terms of all the political, or not political climate, but the... uh, coronavirus climate going on right now. Um, I saw a great tweet from uh, Omari Senkova. I think is how you say his name. Uh, he covers the Pistons for the uh, free press up there in Detroit. He said that uh, I think all the home teams should be able to wear sleeveless jerseys and the away teams, the lower seats, wear <laughs> sleeve jerseys um, as your home court advantage. Mm. So, uh, yeah, Senkova. Um, so he, <laughs> I like that idea. Uh, I'm also cool with, hey, if you want to, you know, you could pick your own hotel rooms uh, for the upper seat. You kind of get first dibs on about mm-hmm. everything um, to kind of give you a, a, as much of a competitive advantage as you think you can get. Well, um, the, the, the the drafting of the hotels is, is an actual possible scenario that apparently has been discussed within the NBA, which is amazing. And I'll give you the other ones they've discussed in just a second, but they're not far off necessarily from the sleeve thing, which is hilarious. Um, although also worth pointing out, I remember when they were trying to make those sleeved jerseys a thing, and I don't remember what year it was exactly. I just remember it was when LeBron was in Cleveland, and there was a game when he got so frustrated with the sleeves, and a lot of the players complained that it sort of, you know, restricted their movement going up for jump shots and rebounds and things like that. LeBron and like literally ripped the sleeves off the side of his jersey. So I, I don't know how much of a disadvantage or advantage that would end up being if the players just just kind of, you know, did that and made their own tank top jerseys out of the out of the sleeve jerseys, but. Um, all right, as you mentioned, an opportunity to pick which hotel you stay in. Uh, that, that's one of the five proposals laid out here in a, a piece by Dave McMenamin on uh, ESPN.com. If you had to rate that on a scale of 1 to 10, choosing your hotel, um, you know how, how good is that proposal based on you know, entertainment value and also based on, hey, this actually gives a, you know, a reasonable, I guess, approximation of what home court advantage is like. Oh, give it to me. I'm like eight or nine on this one. Okay, just good. Because of the con- just because of the content. Could you imagine having to watch like a Lakers-Pelicans broadcast where they did a full in-depth story on like them staying in a certain hotel at Disney World? Sign me up for that. Well, um, and especially because we're, we're, what, less than a month removed from finding out that if you stay in a bad hotel in Utah where there's only one pizza place that stays open, you're liable to get poisoned. Now, I, yep. I don't know if uh, if any of the hotels in Disney would necessarily be like that, and it's not like they're staying at a at a motel just off the interstate that you know has bed bugs and things like that. But uh, that that could, I think that could be a legit psychological factor. You know, especially if I mean, how great is it if you are the Lakers and you have you know the second pick in this, and you're like, we want the hotel in Animal Kingdom where I get woken up by giraffes sticking their head in the window every morning like what an incredible way to wake up you can't go lose a basketball game after you're woken up by a live giraffe in your window yeah like could you imagine like i'm just here for the content on that to where like i want to read and listen to all these people have to talk about hotel choices during the nba playoffs Mm -hmm. that just sounds amazing to me not to mention the drama of like you know I, i don't know what disney considers to be their top hotels but what if that one like slides down the ladder and people are like oh wait why don't they like this hotel? Is there something wrong with it? And then that takes a hit in terms of the popularity. Uh, I don't know. You're, you're right. The entertainment value, the, the actual content part of this would be tremendous. Um, and, and this is my second favorite of the proposals um, laid out, uh, again, in this piece on ESPN.com. Uh, three of them have more to do with basketball, basketball, and, and some sort of like slight rule changes. And then I'll save probably my favorite one for last. So we'll go through the other basketball ones. Um, Colin, this one says that the higher-seeded team would be awarded the first possession of the second, third, and fourth quarters following the traditional jump ball to begin the game. Now, my understanding is this would also just be in the games in which the teams would be traditionally home. So one, two, five, and seven, the home teams would get this advantage. And this could be the difference in two or maybe three, or I guess one or maybe two extra possessions every basketball game. I wonder if if that's like too steep, too great of an advantage because a lot of these games will end up coming down to just one or two possessions. I'm in. I mean, just give me the weirdest basketball playoffs you can possibly give me. I mean, if you want to make it so that one is shirts and one is skins, <laughs> sign me up. Like, I'm just, I'm in on all of it. I'm in on all the weirdness. I mean, we're living in a really weird time right now, and I would love it. That's true. Just lean in, yeah. embrace it. All right, if you give the 
the uh, like lottery essentially for the hotels an eight or a nine? What are you giving teams getting extra possessions to start quarters? Six or seven. Six or seven. Okay, let's so slightly it, below. Let's, let's make it happen. I'm just I'm all in on weird shirts and skin ten overall. All right. This next one, uh, South Carolina could have used for a couple years out, uh, a couple years there while Chris Silva's on their team, and the Miami Heat have Chris Silva right now. They're definitely going to be in the playoffs, so maybe they can use it on Chris Silva. Uh, although I don't know if if he plays enough to make that happen. But in this proposal, the higher seeded team would be allowed to designate one player to be able to be whistled for seven fouls instead of six before fouling out. And uh, I, I think you could again just literally translate that. I, I know you get five before you foul out in college basketball, but I think Chris Silva needed seven most of the time, not just the six. But, Colin, where does this rank on a scale of one to ten? Ten. Give it to me. I'm, I'm, you're not going to get me anything lower than a five right now. I'm just all in, like I said, all in on the weird. Give it to me. Every last bit of it. I just want I just want to have to hear Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, you know, Marie Taylor, uh, Doris Burke, all these people have to talk about this at some point. <laughs> okay. All right, so what's the strategy on this one, though? If you get one player to designate that gets an extra foul, is that automatically going to LeBron James, to Giannis, to you know James Harden, and to Chris Paul because they're your best player? And if they were to foul out, it's going to adversely affect your game more than usual? Are you going to get kind of clever with it? And obviously the, you know, the Golden State Warriors are the, the farthest team out of the playoffs, and they're not going to make it, and they're not even going to go to Orlando, but... You don't want to necessarily give that to Steph Curry. You'd probably give it to Draymond Green. But do you see the Rockets giving it to like Dwight Howard or PJ Tucker instead of Russell Westbrook? Do you see? I mean, I guess uh, Dwight Howard plays for uh, for LA now. I'm, I'm like I'm off by like five years. But do you see him giving it to you know someone like PJ Tucker or the Clippers giving it to someone like Pat Beverly because they're liable to get more fouls, or do you just give it to your superstar to give you that insurance? I think it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, that's. That's the biggest question. I would give it to the guy that's more likely to foul out that you need to be in the game. So, like, on that 2017 South Carolina Final Four run, if you had that, you wouldn't be giving it to Cinderius Thornwell. Mm-hmm. You'd be giving it to Chris Silva, yeah. you know? Um, so there's, I think that that's such an interesting strategy to it, which is why I'm kind of interested to see if they adopt it. Um, but I would give it to the guy that you think you need that also has the sense of fouling out you make two lists most important players most likely to foul out and you cross-reference them and give it to that guy i like that all right this next one is uh my least favorite and i don't mean to say that to influence your vote but I, it just seems to make this the smallest impact of all of these uh the higher seated team receives an extra an extra coaches challenge mm. uh, how many coaches challenges are you getting in the game yeah i, I think yeah. right now they only get one and it seems like they just use it because it's kind of a novelty like it, I, I don't remember yeah. a single game this year and which has actually made a difference. So I'm not super stoked about that idea. I mean, it's weird enough, but, I mean, there's really not an intense purpose for it. No. I'm really thinking critically on it. Yeah. Okay, now the last one, this is my favorite, and this is, you know, again, like slightly outside of the actual basketball being played, but in a real concerted effort to maintain the closest thing to home court advantage that a team could possibly get, this proposal says the higher-seeded teams would be able to transport their actual hardwood home court from their home arenas to Orlando to preserve the feel of their home playing experience. If we're in a weird stage where people are talking about how much money they're going to be losing on all this stuff (laughs) to ship an entire court (laughs) somewhere, seems counterproductive. Mm -hmm. But you know what? To each their own. And uh, not to mention the people that you would need to uh, bring in to a bubble situation in which you're trying to social distance as much as possible. Um, and for all the talk of money being lost, you know, hire those people and pay those people to install the court. And it seems like, again, I don't have a full understanding of what the schedule exactly is going to look like, but my understanding is there will be three and four games played a day on a given court. So having to change that after every single game seems like an impossible, like a prohibitive amount of work. But if they were able to do this, if they if they found a way to do it that made sense financially, that made sense logistically, I am in full support of this. I think this is my favorite of all five of these proposals, even the hotel lottery, because this actually does literally preserve home court. And I, there probably is some familiarity, and, and you've talked to you know a lot more basketball players than I have in in my life, so you may you know have have some insight on this. But I feel like the 
the feel of your actual home court. Even if it's in a different arena, that would for sure be weird. That might bug you out a little bit because you're like, wait, I'm standing here, but I'm, I'm looking at something different. But in terms of knowing the spots on your floor, you know, it's like, oh, there's this there's this little mark on our court that, you know, I just happen to notice. And, and I, I, you know, I, that's where I try to get for my jump shot or, or just kind of that feel, I, I think, does probably add something to the home team. Uh, not to mention, for all of us watching at home, it would feel a little bit more like a normal playoffs because... I, you know, instead of focusing on the empty arena, I'm like, oh, cool. You know, there's that cool old school Celtics floor or, oh, OK, that's the Laker court. And I can just kind of pretend in my brain based on the visual cues that we're watching a normal NBA playoffs. I mean, I think that helps. Um, I think the more important part of it, I mean, your sight lines, because every court's obviously different with your sight lines when you go up for a shot. So it's going to be interesting. Um yeah, I'm I'm not opposed to it. I just think it's a lot of money to ship a court across the country for mm-hmm. the Lakers or ship it somewhere that maybe money that uh, could go to better on different things, but who knows. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, do you know anything about, you know, the 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 specifics and sort of the mechanics of that? Like at the Colonial Life Arena, you know, they have the court. I, I don't know if they have like another one stored underneath. Obviously, at a lot of arenas around the country, they'll have like ice stored underneath. I guess they probably don't have that for the Colonial Life Arena, although they do have Disney on ice there sometimes, I think, and, and different things on ice. So do you, I mean, do you know how long that takes, you know, what, what it's looked like, how it's built, anything like that, I guess, specifically for South Carolina? I mean, they have, it's obviously in pieces. Um, they have guys that come in and they store places. Uh, is it like a million pieces, though, or is it like five pe- five giant no, pieces? No, it's, it's a lot of different pieces. Mm-hmm. It's not a million, but it's not two or three. Okay. Um, they kind of hook together and... Um, so it's not just, I mean, it's a process. It's an hours-long process it takes to put this, dismantle and, and put together a court. So um, that's the, the issue with it is that it would cause so many delays to do it. Um, I'm sure if you really, really had it, um, you could do it in an hour, but that takes a lot of time um, and a lot of manpower hmm. to All do right. it. But at, at Colonial Life, it's just concrete underneath it. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so it's not. And then when you have like a Disney on ice, um, they bring in, I think they bring in their ice or I could be completely wrong in that regard, but mm. the floor at Colonial Life is, is a gray concrete. Okay. So they just take the court out and then put the ice on top of the concrete in place of where the court was. Um, I think so. Um, that makes sense. I could be completely wrong in that. Nah, but. that's, yeah, I mean, that sounds probably right. Uh, I'm just, I'm disappointed because I, I really wanted this to, to happen and, uh, and it hasn't. So I guess of these, I'm, I'm probably just going to keep voting for, not that my vote matters, but if I had a vote, I, I would definitely vote for get to draft what hotel you say. Now, the other interesting part about that is there would almost certainly be guys on the team within an individual team that wanted to stay in different places. So I guess you have to put teams in the same hotels, but like maybe maybe Dwight Howard wants to stay in Magic Kingdom and maybe LeBron wants to stay in Epcot. You know, what, what do you do there? Do you split the Laker team in half or does LeBron just win that argument? And if so, does that actually make it worse for Dwight Howard? Is he going to play worse because he doesn't get to stay in his favorite hotel in Magic Kingdom? You know, I don't know. And you probably have a significant advantage if you're Milwaukee because they have Brooke and Robin Lopez, and the Lopez brothers are avid and famously so, avid, avid Disney fans. So they're probably going to have a slight advantage over everybody else in terms of knowing all the best spots, the best hotels, because um, those guys apparently absolutely freaking love Disney World, which is amazing. Yeah, I would love it. That would be so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, I'm so jealous I mean, of all the media members that are going to get to go to Orlando and just hang out at Disney World for a couple months and just watch basketball and, and be in, like, especially close proximity with all the players. They're going to get so many good stories, and it's just going to be such so much access, and it's, uh, it's going to be really cool. Um, all right, last one for you. Uh, now, this one isn't written here, but I think this is actually the true best proposal, and I don't know if this is more or less realistic than the ones that we just went through, but I've heard a couple people mention this. Uh, Eric Kimry mentioned it on my local show on 107.5 yesterday. The idea of reseeding the playoffs one to sixteen, regardless of conference, and then going through and letting the higher seeds pick their opponent for whatever round of the playoffs, and you you, you shuffle it again, and, and okay, we, you know we eliminated eight teams, we have eight teams now. Now we reseed. You know the number one overall seed that's left gets to then pick their opponent for the second round. The storylines in terms of people getting pissed off because another team picked them. It's like oh, we want to play you. It's like wow, you think we suck. I think this is the best case scenario 
for a lot of reasons, but primarily, I just think the entertainment value would be extraordinary. Yeah, if we're talking about content, that's content right there. I would tune in to watch that draft. That, like, pick them, give me that every day of the week. I like that. Um, and I don't know how fair it is to people, but I like it a lot. I mean, there I has to I be was... some reward for winning a lot of regular season games, and I hope they'll come up with something. Yeah, other than, you know, picking your hotel, which can help, but in, on the court, less so. Yeah. Um, sure, I like it. Let's yeah. do it. Cool. Very good. Well, uh, we will uh, be back on another podcast and we'll have more concrete plans because, again, the NBA Board of Governors is meeting probably as we speak. We'll have some kind of update uh, later this afternoon. Probably by the time you're listening to this podcast, you will know. But it seems like the NBA is going to be the first major sport back. I'm very excited to have basketball back. I also just love, love, love the NBA. And uh, all of this just means that we're continuing to get back to normal as, as quarantine, I guess, eases in different places around the country. Businesses start to open up. Um, different things start to open up. The zoo is open up here in Columbia. I've been a couple times. Uh, that's been nice. Things are getting back to normal. I think once the NBA gets back, it will feel even more uh, like things are continuing to get back to normal, at least in terms of uh, the sports world and at least in terms of uh, COVID-19. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, all the basketball. Can't believe we got to everything today. Colin, thank you so much. Uh, you were on it. You were ready for everything, even all the curveballs that I didn't tell you we were going to talk about. So I appreciate your professionalism and uh, constant I don't know, the way you keep up with information. I, I'm, I'm impressed uh, with all that. And I'm very glad that the net's going to be good and all this stuff. And uh, this has been good because, yeah, I've, uh, I've missed you during this. So I uh, appreciate it, man. Great stuff as always. I appreciate that. And I hope everyone's staying safe and um, keeping tabs on each other and, and staying as, as mentally healthy as you possibly can during this entire weird, weird three-month pandemic mm-hmm. quarantine thing. No, that's a big part of it. Eat well, get outside, exercise, yeah. all those things. Great for uh, for mental health. So, Colin, hopefully you and I will see each other again in person. And uh, all of y'all continue to follow Colin on Twitter, if you don't already, at Colin Taylor with a Y. Read him on Gamecock Central. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, he's got great write-ups, um, including breaking down Perry Clark's retirement, what Frank Martin wants in his next assistant. That was published uh, yesterday on GamecockCentral.com. He publishes stuff pretty much every five hours, so just tune in to GamecockCentral.com. Be a subscriber there so you can read Uh, all of Colin's insights on uh, everything that he covers on the site. Um, As far as his podcast, uh, that's free. All we ask that you do is rate, review, and subscribe. That's a great way to support the podcast, so please do that. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.